Howdy folks, this is Mark Davis coming at you from My Grand Rounds. We're gonna jump right into Season 3 with Sudden Deterioration in Neurologic Status. Patients admitted to the intensive care unit with critical illness or injury are at risk for neurologic complications. A sudden or unexpected change in the neurologic condition of a critically ill patient often heralds a complication that may cause direct injury to the central nervous system. Alternatively, such changes may simply be neurologic manifestations of the underlying critical illness or treatment that necessitated ICU admission, such as sepsis. These complications can occur in patients admitted to the ICU without neurologic disease and in those admitted for management of primary CNS problems, such as stroke. Neurologic complications can also occur as a result of invasive procedures and therapeutic interventions performed. Commonly, recognition of neurologic complications is delayed or missed entirely because ICU treatments such as intubation and drugs interfere with the physical examination or confound the clinical picture. In other cases, neurologic complications are not recognized because of a lack of sensitive methods to detect the problem, such as in delirium. Morbidity and mortality are increased among patients who develop neurologic complications. Therefore, the intensivist must be vigilant in evaluating all critically ill patients for changes in neurologic status. Despite the importance of neurologic complications of critical illness, few studies have specifically assessed their incidence and impact on outcome among ICU patients. Available data are limited to medical ICU patients. Data regarding neurologic complications in general surgical and other specialty ICU populations must be extracted from other sources. In studies of medical ICU patients, the incidence of neurologic complications is 12.3 to 33%. Patients who develop neurologic complications have increased morbidity, mortality, and ICU length of stay. Sepsis is the most common problem associated with development of neurologic complications, or sepsis-associated encephalopathy. In addition to encephalopathy, other common neurologic complications associated with critical illness include seizures and stroke. As the complexity of ICU care has increased, so has the risk of neurologic complications. Neuromuscular disorders are now recognized as a major source of morbidity in severely ill patients. Examples of recognized neurologic complications occurring in selected medical, surgical, and neurologic ICU populations are the following. In bone marrow transplantation, CNS infection, stroke, subdural hematoma, brainstem ischemia, hyperammonemia, and Wernicke encephalopathy. In cancer patients, stroke, intracranial hemorrhage, and CNS infections. In fulminant hepatic failure, encephalopathy, 
glaucoma, brain edema, and increased ICP. In HIV or AIDS, opportunistic CNS infections, stroke, vasculitis, delirium, seizures, and progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. In pregnancy, seizures, ischemic stroke, cerebral vasospasm, intracranial hemorrhage, cerebral venous thrombosis, hypertensive encephalopathy, and pituitary apoplexy. In cardiac surgery, stroke, delirium, brachial plexus injury, and phrenic nerve injury. In carotid surgery, stroke, cranial nerve injuries, recurrent laryngeal, glossopharyngeal, hypoglossal, or facial, as well as seizures. In aortic surgery, stroke and paraplegia. In peripheral vascular surgery, delirium. In heart transplant patients, stroke. In liver transplant patients, encephalopathy, seizures, opportunistic CNS infections, intracranial hemorrhage, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and central pontine myelinolysis. In renal transplant patients, stroke, opportunistic CNS infection, and femoral neuropathy. In urologic surgery, such as a TERP, seizures, and coma in light of hyponatremia. In otolaryngologic surgery, recurrent laryngeal nerve injury, stroke, and delirium. In spine surgery, myelopathy, radiculopathy, epidural abscess, and meningitis. In knee and hip replacement, delirium in light of a fat embolism. In long bone fracture nailing, delirium in light of fat embolism. In stroke patients, stroke progression or extension, reocclusion after thrombolysis, bleeding, seizures, delirium, brain edema, and herniation. In intracranial surgery, bleeding, edema, seizures, and CNS infection. In subarachnoid hemorrhage, re-bleeding, vasospasm, hydrocephalus, and seizure. In traumatic brain injury, intracranial hypertension, bleeding, seizures, stroke, and CNS infection. In cervical spinal cord injury, ascension of injury and stroke in light of vertebral artery injury. Global changes in CNS function best described in terms of impairment in consciousness are generally referred to as encephalopathy or altered mental status. An acute change in the level of consciousness undoubtedly is the most common neurologic complication that occurs after ICU admission. Consciousness is defined as a state of awareness, either arousal or wakefulness, and the ability to respond appropriately to changes in environment. For consciousness to be impaired, global hemispheric dysfunction, 
or dysfunction of the brainstem reticular activating system must be present. Altered consciousness may result in a sleep-like state or a state characterized by confusion and agitation. States of acutely altered consciousness in the ICU are the following. Coma is defined by closed eyes, a sleep-like state with no response to external stimuli such as pain. Stupor is defined by responsive only to vigorous or painful stimuli. Lethargy is defined by drowsiness, arouses easily and appropriately to stimuli. Delirium is defined by an acute state of confusion with or without behavioral disturbance. Catatonia is defined by the eyes being open, unblinking, and unresponsive. When an acute change in consciousness is noted, the patient should be evaluated, keeping in mind the patient's age, presence or absence of coexisting organ system dysfunction, metabolic status and medication list, and presence or absence of infection. In patients with a primary CNS disorder, deterioration in the level of consciousness, such as from stupor to coma, frequently represents the development of brain edema, increasing intracranial pressure, new or worsening intracranial hemorrhage, hydrocephalus, CNS infection, or cerebral vasospasm. In patients without a primary CNS diagnosis, an acute change in consciousness is often due to the development of infectious complications, i.e. sepsis-associated encephalopathy, drug toxicities, or the development or exacerbation of organ system failure. Non-convulsive status epilepticus is increasingly being recognized as a cause of impaired consciousness in critically ill patients. General causes of acutely impaired consciousness in the critically ill are the following. Sepsis encephalopathy caused by CNS infection. Drugs which can cause impaired consciousness are narcotics, benzodiazepines, anticholinergics, anticonvulsants, tricyclic antidepressants, selective serotonin uptake inhibitors, phenothiazines, steroids, and immunosuppressants such as cyclosporin, FK506, and OKT3. Electrolyte and acid-based disturbances causing impaired consciousness are the following. Hyponatremia, hypernatremia, hypercalcemia, hypermagnesemia, as well as severe acidemia and alkalemia. Organ system failure causing impaired consciousness are the following. Shock, renal failure, hepatic failure, pancreatitis, and respiratory failure to include hypoxia and or hypercapnia. Endocrine disorder causes of impaired consciousness are the following. Hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and pituitary apoplexy. Drug withdrawal causing impaired consciousness such as alcohol, opiates, barbiturates, 
and benzodiazepines. Vascular causes of impaired consciousness include shock, hypotension, hypertensive encephalopathy, CNS vasculitis, and cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. CNS disorders causing impaired consciousness, such as hemorrhagic stroke, brain edema, hydrocephalus, increased intracranial pressure, meningitis, ventriculitis, brain abscess, subdural empyema, seizures, and vasculitis. Seizures causing impaired consciousness, such as convulsive and non-convulsive status epilepticus. Miscellaneous causes of impaired consciousness, such as fat embolism syndrome, neuroleptic malignant syndrome, thiamine deficiency causing Wernicke encephalopathy, and psychogenic causes. States of altered consciousness manifesting as impairment in wakefulness or arousal, i.e. coma and stupor, and their causes are well defined. Much confusion remains, however, regarding the diagnosis and management of delirium, perhaps the most common state of impaired CNS functioning in critically ill patients at large. When dedicated instruments are used, Delirium can be diagnosed in more than 80% of critically ill patients, making this condition the most common neurologic complication of critical illness. Much of the difficulty in establishing the diagnosis of delirium stems from the belief that delirium is a state characterized mainly by confusion and agitation, and that such states are expected consequences of the unique environmental factors and sleep deprivation that characterize the ICU experience. Terms previously used to describe delirium in critically ill patients include ICU psychosis, acute confusional state, encephalopathy, and postoperative psychosis. It is now recognized that ICU psychosis is a misnomer. Delirium is a more accurate term. Currently accepted criteria for the diagnosis of delirium include abrupt onset of impaired consciousness, disturbed cognitive function, fluctuating course, and presence of a medical condition that could impair brain function. Subtypes of delirium include hyperactive delirium and the more common hypoactive or quiet delirium. Impaired consciousness may be apparent as a reduction in awareness, psychomotor retardation, agitation, or impairment in attention. Cognitive impairment can include disorientation, impaired memory, and perceptual aberrations, including hallucinations or illusions. Autonomic hyperactivity and sleep disturbances may be features of delirium in some patients, such as those with drug withdrawal syndromes or delirium tremens. Delirium in critically ill patients is associated with increased morbidity, mortality, and ICU length of stay. In general, sepsis and medications should be the primary etiologic considerations in critically ill patients who develop delirium. As has been noted, 
non-convulsive status epilepticus is increasingly recognized as an important cause of impaired consciousness in critically ill patients. Although the general term can encompass other entities, such as absence and partial complex seizures in critically ill patients, non-convulsive status epilepticus is often referred to as status epilepticus of epileptic encephalopathy. It is characterized by alteration in consciousness or behavior associated with electroencephalographic evidence of continuous or periodic epileptiform activity without overt motor manifestations of seizures. In a study of comatose patients without overt seizure activity, non-convulsive status epilepticus was evident in 8% of subjects. Non-convulsive status epilepticus can precede or follow an episode of generalized convulsive status epilepticus. It can also occur in patients with traumatic brain injury, subarachnoid hemorrhage, global brain ischemia, or anoxia, sepsis, and multiple organ failure. Despite the general consensus that non-convulsive status epilepticus is a unique entity responsible for impaired consciousness in some critically ill patients, there is no general consensus on the electroencephalographic criteria for its diagnosis or the optimal approach to treatment. The new onset of a major neurologic deficit that manifests as a focal impairment in motor or sensory function, such as hemiparesis, or one that results in seizures, usually indicates a primary problem referable to the cerebrovascular circulation. In a study evaluating the value of computed tomography in medical ICU patients, ischemic stroke and intracranial bleeding were the most common abnormalities associated with the new onset of a neurologic deficit or seizure. Overall, the frequency of new onset stroke is between 1 and 4% in medical ICU patients. Among general surgical patients, the frequency of perioperative stroke ranges from 0.3 to 3.5%. Patients undergoing cardiac or vascular surgery and surgical patients with underlying cerebrovascular disease can be expected to have an increased risk of perioperative stroke. The frequency of new or worsening focal neurologic deficits in patients admitted with a primary neurologic or neurosurgical disorder varies. For example, as many as 30% of patients with aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage develop delayed ischemic neurologic deficits. Patients admitted with stroke often develop worsening or new symptoms as a result of stroke progression bleeding, or reocclusion of vessels previously opened with interventional therapy. In patients who have undergone elective intracranial surgery, post-surgical bleeding or infectious complications are the main causes of new focal deficits. In trauma patients, unrecognized injuries to the cerebrovascular circulation can cause new deficits. Patients who have sustained spinal cord injuries and those who have undergone surgery of the spine or of the thoracic or abdominal aorta 
can develop worsening or new symptoms of spinal cord injury. Early deterioration of CNS function after spinal cord injury usually occurs as a consequence of medical interventions to stabilize the spine, whereas late deterioration is usually due to hypotension and impaired cord perfusion. Occasionally, focal weakness or sensory symptoms in the extremities occur as a result of occult brachial plexus injury or compression neuropathy. New cranial nerve deficits in patients without primary neurologic problems can occur after neck surgery or carotid endarterectomy. The new onset of motor seizures occurs in 0.8 to 4% of critically ill medical ICU patients. New onset seizures in general, medical surgical ICU patients is typically caused by narcotic withdrawal, hyponatremia, drug toxicities, or previously unrecognized structural abnormalities. New stroke, intracranial bleeding, and CNS infection are other potential causes of seizures after ICU admission. The frequency of seizures is higher in patients admitted to the ICU with a primary neurologic problem such as traumatic brain injury, aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage, stroke, or CNS infection. Because non-convulsive status epilepticus may be more common than was previously appreciated, this problem should also be considered in the differential diagnosis of patients developing new, unexplained, or prolonged alterations in consciousness. Generalized muscle weakness often becomes apparent in ICU patients as previous impairments in arousal are resolving or sedative and neuromuscular blocking agents are being discontinued or tapered. Polyneuropathy and myopathy associated with clinical illness are now well recognized as the principal causes of new onset generalized weakness among ICU patients being treated for non-neuromuscular disorders. These disorders also may be responsible for prolonged ventilator dependency in some patients. Patients at increased risk for these complications include those with sepsis, systemic inflammatory response syndrome, and multiple organ dysfunction syndrome, as well as those who require prolonged mechanical ventilation. Other risk factors include treatment with corticosteroids or neuromuscular blocking agents. Contrast to demyelinating neuropathies such as Guillain-Barre syndrome, critical illness polyneuropathy is primarily an axonal condition. Critical illness polyneuropathy is diagnosed in a high percentage of patients undergoing careful evaluation for weakness acquired while in the ICU. Because primary myopathy coexists in a large number of patients with critical illness polyneuropathy, ICU-acquired paresis or critical illness neuromuscular abnormalities may be better terms to describe this problem, although acute Guillain-Barre syndrome and myasthenia gravis are rare complications of critical illness. These diagnoses should also be considered in patients who develop generalized weakness in the ICU. Routine procedures performed in the ICU 
or in association with evaluation and treatment of critical illness can result in neurologic complications. The most obvious neurologic complication are those associated with intracranial bleeding secondary to the treatment of stroke and other disorders with thrombolytic agents or anticoagulants. Other notable complications include angiography causing cerebral cholesterol emboli syndrome, anticoagulants and antiplatelet agents causing intracranial bleeding, arterial catheterization causing cerebral embolism, bronchoscopy causing an increase in intracranial pressure, central venous catheterization causing cerebral air embolism, carotid dissection, Horner's syndrome, phrenic nerve injury, brachial plexus injury, and cranial nerve injury. DC cardioversion, causing embolic stroke and seizures. Dialysis, causing seizures and increased intracranial pressure, secondary to dialysis, disequilibrium syndrome. CNS endovascular procedures, causing vessel rupture, thrombosis, and reperfusion bleeding. Placement of an epidural catheter may cause a spinal epidural hematoma and or an epidural abscess. Invasive ICP monitoring may cause CNS infections such as ventriculitis and hemorrhage. Intraortic balloon pumps may cause lower extremity paralysis. Intubation may cause spinal cord injury. Left ventricular assist devices may cause stroke and seizures. Lumbar puncture or drain may cause meningitis or herniation. Mechanical ventilation may cause cerebral air embolism, increased ICP in light of high PEEP and hypercapnia, and seizures in light of hypocapnia. Nasogastric intubation may inadvertently be placed intracranially. A new onset or sudden change in the neurologic condition of a critically ill patient necessitates a focused neurologic examination, a review of the clinical course and medications administered before the change, a thorough laboratory assessment, and appropriate imaging or neurophysiologic studies when indicated. The type and extent of the evaluation depend on clinical context and the general category of neurologic change occurring. The history and physical examination should lead the clinician to the diagnostic approach best suited to the individual patient. Essential elements of the neurologic examination include an assessment of the level and content of consciousness, pupillary size and reactivity, and motor function. Additional evaluation of the cranial nerves and peripheral reflexes and a sensory examination are conducted as indicated by the clinical circumstances. If the patient is comatose on initial evaluation, a more detailed coma examination should be performed to help differentiate structural from metabolic causes of coma. When the evaluation reveals only a change in arousal without evidence of a localizing lesion in the CNS, a search for infection, discontinuation or modification of drug therapy, and a general metabolic evaluation may be indicated. Lumbar puncture to aid the diagnosis of CNS infection 
may be warranted in selected neurosurgical patients and immunocompromised individuals. Lumbar puncture to rule out nosocomially acquired meningitis in other patients is generally not rewarding. Electroencephalography should be performed in patients with clear evidence of seizures, as well as when the diagnosis of non-convulsive status epilepticus is being entertained. Continuous electroencephalography should be considered when the index of suspicion for non-convulsive status epilepticus remains high and the initial electroencephalographic studies are unrevealing. CT is indicated for non-neurologic patients with new focal deficits, seizures, or otherwise unexplained impairments in arousal. In patients with primary neurologic disorders, CT is indicated if worsening brain edema, herniation, bleeding, and hydrocephalus are considerations when new deficits or worsening neurologic status occurs. In some cases, when the basis for a change in neurologic condition remains elusive, MRI may be helpful. In particular, the diffusion-weighted MRI technique can reveal structural abnormalities such as hypoxic brain injury, fat embolism, vasculitis, cerebrovenous thrombosis, or multiple infarcts following cardiopulmonary bypass that are not apparent by standard CT or conventional MRI. MRI may be the imaging modality of choice in patients with HIV and new CNS complications. For patients who develop signs and symptoms of spinal cord injury complicating critical illness, MRI or somatosensory evoked potentials can be used to further delineate the nature and severity of the injury. For patients who develop generalized muscle weakness or unexplained ventilator dependency, electromyography and nerve conduction studies can confirm the presence of critical illness polyneuropathy or myopathy. The common occurrence of neurologic changes in critically ill patients emphasizes the need for vigilant monitoring. A variety of clinical techniques, such as the Glasgow Coma Scale, National Institute of Health Stroke Scale, Ramsey Sedation Scale, Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale, and Confusion Assessment Method for the Intensive Care Unit can be used to monitor clinical neurologic status. Neurophysiologic methods such as the bispectral index may provide more objective neurologic monitoring in the future for patients admitted to the ICU with and without primary neurologic problems. For patients admitted to the ICU with a primary neurologic disorder, a variety of monitoring techniques, including measurements of intracranial pressure, near-infrared spectroscopy, brain tissue PO2, transcranial Doppler, and electroencephalography are available. This concludes the sudden deterioration and neurologic status. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget to rate and write a review at Apple Podcasts.
sources for this podcast include the ICU book, edition, the textbook of critical care, 7th edition, and up-to-date 